Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Have you been watching the debates? It is the election cycle, you know. We're looking at leaders in this country that are competing for the highest office in our land. First Samuel is looking at leaders too. One is in power, Saul, the one that God has rejected, and the other is not in power, David, the one God has anointed. Saul is the king, David is the king to be. He is the king after God's own heart. There's a difference between the king to be and the king. One has position, one does not. Who really has the power? There's a difference between position and power. They can often overlap, but they aren't necessarily the same. Saul has positional power as king. He has coercive power. Your boss at work has coercive power. The policeman that patrols our streets has coercive power. You get the idea. You can be coerced into doing something because they can wield penalties and fines and timeouts. Saul wants to maintain his power. His quest, his hunger, his thirst is to maintain to retain his power. Unlike Saul, who has positional power, David doesn't have a position, but he has personal power. David has personal power. You could call it charismatic power as opposed to coercive power. But by charismatic, I only mean he has gifting or he has competence. He has influence. And you should appreciate this because each and every one of us has that kind of power. You have influence. You have influence. You may also have a position which double downs your influence. 
But you have influence just like David did. David is a leader without a title. People follow him because David stands for something that these people believe in. Now, I realize some of them may have flocked to David in the desert, in the wilderness, in the badlands. They may have flocked to him because they were opposed to Saul, tired of Saul, fed up with Saul. Get rid of Saul. Who can dislodge Saul? And they may have fled to David for those reasons. Or they may have fled to David because they knew of his competence and his abilities and his heart. And they may have fled to David because of what he can do, may do. But in all cases, David will represent to them what they all need And what they all need is a new way, a right way. It is the Lord and his way that David represents. And I want us to identify with David. In fact, when I say the name David, you should think of a good and godly leader. And then you should think, God wants me to be a David. God wants me to be a good and godly leader. God wants me to use my influence, my position, if I should have one. And we all have some position somewhere. It may be even at the bottom of the ladder. It may be the lowest rung, but you have a position. But more than that position and whatever power it contains, you have influence. You have impact, especially in the Lord. And if you name his name, you are seen as his servant. You are seen as his person. You are identified with him and seen as someone in whom another can see what the Lord is like. And that's influential. Out of our heart for God comes new kingship leadership. Now, i got to be honest with you. Um, Well, I'm always honest with you. That's just an expression of phrase. Breaking news, John has finally been honest. (laughs) What I mean to say is, I'm going to be candid and very frank. Uh, When I came up with this, uh, this kind of thematic statement for what I see happening between David and the difference between David and Saul and David as a leader, I went and shared it with uh, one of the pastors. I said, what do you think about this? And in my mind, I already thought, this is kind of a clunky way of saying things. And when I worded it to him, he actually said to me, he sat for a minute, and as soon as he was silent, I knew 
he didn't really care for it. And he, he, then he said, you know, it's kind of clunky. I think he's been hanging around me because I use that word clunky. Um, but you need to know, I stuck with it because it's not our kingship that brings new leadership. It's his kingship. It's his kingship. And so I stuck with it, and I thought, well, maybe clunky will be memorable. Maybe clunky will be something that works on our heart and our mind. Because when you have a heart for God, out of that heart comes new kingship leadership. When he's the king, when we enthrone him, it's, it's, it's not enough. It's, it's just, I'm going to be flat, straight with you. This is straight talk. It's not enough to call him king. It's not enough to call him Lord. It's not enough to have doilies with his name on it or things hanging on the wall or to post Facebook pictures and sayings. It's not enough to have a big Bible or lots of Bibles or to go to Bible studies. It's not enough to use the word against another person or to use his word to judge another person. It really comes down to, is he the Lord of your life? Is his word operative and effective in your life? And when you have a heart for God that responds to the Lord in your life, not just commandments and laws. Get behind his commands and laws. It is his heart being expressed. It is his will and his ways. And when you have a heart for his will and his ways, it affects your disposition. It not only creates trust and hope and confidence, especially as you try the Lord. Try it his way. If you never take a step in faith, if you never take a risk of faith, if you never take his word so to heart that you're willing to step outside your comfort zone and actually gamble on God, then you'll not grow in your faith. You'll not grow in your trust. You'll not confirm in your own spirit and heart that his way is the best way. His way is the way that I want. And then that confidence undergirds you and gives you strength through difficulties and hardships when life is not a lazy ride down the river. And you'll stand for him. And that's a David. If you have a heart for God, you become a leader because his kingship is a new leadership in your life and it affects those around you. It's an influence on those around you. Whether we're a parent with our children, a husband or wife with our spouse, an owner with people who work for you or a positional person who works for someone else and influence or middle manages others, a teacher 
how your students look at you, how your students observe the way you handle things, your tone, your attitude, your disposition. Whether you're on a team, a football, basketball, dance team, cheerleader, soccer team. Whether you're watching the Super Bowl today, You can set an example. Great leaders are great because they're great examples. They're great examples. They inspire people. They actually live out what they believe. They show. Whether you're going to follow or not, that's okay. They're going to go in the right ways. They're going to act in the right ways. They're going to speak in the right ways. And there are many who are going to be inspired for life because of that person right there in their midst or that person that has been put in to their lives. Some of us are in frustrated marriages. You can be God's person in the desert. Not just to bark commands. Not just to say, you need to do this. No, but to inspire. To know peace in the midst of trouble. Hope in the midst of discouragement. Someone who enables another, you know, helps them, lifts them up. These are the kinds of leaders that we're talking about. That's the kind of leader David is. You become this leader, this new kind of leader, through his kingship. And it may seem a paradox, but in Jesus, the Christian becomes a leader by following. Isn't that interesting? A Christian paradoxically becomes a leader by following. The better the follower, the better the leader in terms of Jesus Christ. David led by following the Lord. That's why he was a man after God's heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14, Samuel says to Saul, Saul, I'm sorry, but... God says your kingship is over. He's withdrawing from you as a king. He is seeking someone after his own heart. That's what he says to Saul. God is seeking someone after his own heart. And that is picked up, as we saw projected on the screen earlier by Brian in Acts 13.22. Why is David a man after God's own heart? I just want to share a few things. We can't comprise all of the leadership of David, but this Sunday and next Sunday, Lord willing, we plan, but he directs our steps. Next Sunday, we'll come back and uh, look again at David's leadership. But David serves the Lord. Saul serves himself. Saul serves himself. 
You can't serve the Lord and serve yourself. David repeatedly calls himself the servant of the Lord. In fact, when he inquires of the Lord, he says, your servant. Wouldn't that be beautiful if when we pray, we say, Father, Lord, your servant asks, (laughs) your servant requests. Beautiful expression, isn't it? David protects his family. Now, to put that in perspective, Saul threatens his family. In fact, at times, he tries to kill his own family. And David doesn't just consider his biological family his family. He considers others. David promises David promises to protect and care for the family and the descendants of Jonathan. And that's interesting because covenants are usually made with a superior. And it is Jonathan who initiates the covenant with David in chapter 20. Because Jonathan is not only about 10 years older than David, but he is the prince. He's the heir of the king. If Saul has his way, Jonathan will become the king. But Jonathan loves David. He sees what God's doing in David. Saul, when his own son follows the Lord and accomplishes great things, Saul takes credit for that. He toots his own horn. He steals credit that Jonathan has earned for himself. That's the kind of leader Saul is. Have you worked with people like that? Is that the kind of leader you want to be? That's not the kind of leader I want to be. Jonathan saw in David a different kind of leader because of the Lord in his life. He had no positional right to become the heir of Saul. Not in Saul's eyes, not in the kingdom's eyes as Saul ran it. But he asked David, by entering into a covenant, he said, please, look out for me. Protect me. Let's look at it, in fact. Turn to chapter 20. Verses 13 through 16. We're just taking an excerpt, but Jonathan says, Should it please my father to do you, David, harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, David. David's not there. I'm just helping you follow the trace of thought. May the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my father, Saul. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. 
What I wanted us to appreciate is how this covenant, these bonds of commitment and loyalty, loyalty that exists even beyond the affairs and circumstances, in other words, higher than the circumstances, ups and downs of life, and even beyond death. Jonathan says, if anything happens to me, David, out of the steadfast love of the Lord, you see the difference? David, not out of your human love, but out of the steadfast love of the Lord that we both depend on. Let that be the foundation of our covenant, of our relationship, of our commitments, of the words that we speak to one another. Let that be the basis of the way we treat one another. David, I will have peace knowing that my posterity, my children, will not be wiped out should I die when you are king because I know that you observe and obey and admire and live by the steadfast love of the Lord. I could not be in better hands than a man who loves and respects and serves and upholds the steadfast love of the Lord. David protects people because of the steadfast love of the Lord. When Saul, in chapter 22, asks his own servants, he turns on Ahimelech, the priest. And when he asks his own servants to wipe out Ahimelech and his posterity, his own servants won't obey Saul. What kind of a leader is that? Will you stand up against such leaders in life? Out of the steadfast love of the Lord, will you, in this political season, in this political world, will you stand up for what is right? against the souls of this world. That's a bold question. And I don't know the answer to that myself. I'd like to think I will. And we do it in little ways, and we prepare our heart by in the little things that in principle are the same, we make those same kinds of ethical decisions based on the steadfast love of the Lord. Saul's servants resisted to him. He had to turn to Doeg, the Edomite, and he slew Ahimelech and the 85 priests, men, women, children, animals. Only one escaped, Abiathar. He comes to David, and at the very end of the chapter, 20, 21, 22, and 23 of 1 Samuel 22. We know David takes responsibility for what Doeg saw. He repents, but this is what I want you to appreciate. He says to Abiathar, stay with me. You'll be safe. Are you a safe haven because of the steadfast love of the Lord? Are you a covenant person, a promise keeper? 
Are you someone who will be the same when no one's looking? Or when it's not popular? Will you stand up for the Lord like David did? Will you protect people around you on the basis of the steadfast love of the Lord? David did. In fact, he protected Saul. Isn't that crazy? More than once, Saul fell into his hands, and he wouldn't touch him. He continued to honor Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. That's the steadfast love of the Lord. He's not operating on his whims or out of reaction or out of revenge or resentment or bitterness or hurt. He's not acting toward Saul as Saul had acted toward him. He's acting as the Lord calls him to act when we base our lives on his kingship. And it's a fresh wind. It's a new kind of leadership. It's a new kind of lordship. And we know this from Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the root of Jephthah. He is the coming one who has come. David accepts all comers, all comers. And that's what we see in chapter 22, verse 2. Let's look at chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, Adullam, or Adullam, not quite sure, was a Canaanite city, and although its conquest is not recorded, it would have been conquered under Joshua. And it appears that the city after that conquest fell into disuse, but in that area was a mountain, and the caves are well known. And there is a, one of the caverns that are there that can hold, they say, up to 600 people. And it's in those caverns, it's the cave of Adullam. It's not right in Adullam, but it's, they're called the caves of Adullam. And that's where David is. And you can find psalms, there's a couple of psalms that mention when David is in the cave. In fact, Psalm 34 is one of those psalms. And it is at there at Adullam that his brothers and all his father's house heard it, and they went down there to him. And, verse 2, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter or discontented in soul. Distressed, in debt, and discontented. DDD. What a terrible, terrible disease. Discontented, in debt, distressed. And there are a lot of people in this world. I run across them in social media all the time. They are distressed, in debt, and discontented. They are bitter and upset and angry and trolling and 
Jesus' people should not be like that. You should not. You should not be distressed, in debt, and discontented. Not in the Lord. And the attitude that goes with it should not be the countenance of a Christian. There's no leadership in bitterness and ugliness and sourness and cynicism. There is no leadership there. There's no one to say, follow me. Let me show you a better way. There's no new kingship in somebody who's fixed in guilt on the past and disappointed and discouraged and a blamer of others. Where's the light in that darkness? I, I do not know. But in Christ, in the Lord, there is a fresh wind. There is new life. There is redemption. Redemption. We, of all people, should know about redemption. And that's in the heart of David. He, all these people come to him. He could have been a Saul about it. Because David accepts all comers, but Saul uses them. And if they have no use to him, he disposes of them. They're of no use anymore. When difficulties and discouragements and difficult people come into your life, do you see it as an opportunity? I think David saw it as such an opportunity. Let's look just for a moment. We'll pick this up next week, but I want to I show us just something from Psalm 57 and 34. Uh, Psalm 57 starts off this way, and Psalm 57 I hear you all turning. That's good. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy. That was a great hymn of the day. Do Not Destroy. There's a couple of psalms sung to the music of Do Not Destroy. I think they were um, a headbanger band, but death metal of some kind. A mictam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. In the cave. Adullam. How's he begin? Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I'm in a cave, Lord, but it's not my location that sets the condition of my life. It's not the location, it's not the place, it's not the people around me that determines the condition of my heart. It's you, O oh Lord. It's you. 
and it's in you I take refuge. You're my refuge. In the shadow of your wings will I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you? That is a question you need to settle. Are you bored? Are you bored in life? Or do you feel sometimes that you don't have what others had, and if you had what they had, you would have a meaningful and contented and, and healthy and complete life? Sometimes are you just going along and you're looking for entertainment, something to pick up the spirit, something to occupy and distract you from this tiresome, difficult, boring world and life that you live. If that in any way, you know, if I had a series of 16 questions and I said, you know, if you answered five of these, yes, I'm not doing that. But if anything about that connects, then you need to answer this question. Do you believe God has a purpose for you? Because if you believe he has a purpose for you, that purpose comes into play in every moment with every person and every situation of your life. You may not hit them all. You may be distracted. You may be having a down day. But in faith, in a life that's constantly pinging off the Lord, you're going to see purpose in all of those situations. A few years ago, after my son earned his master's degree, was a father, he went through a difficult time. He came and lived with us for four years. He had a clinical health problem. He did not want to live with his mommy and daddy. And you know what? His mommy and daddy did not want him to live with us. <laughs> but when he came into our house, right off the bat, I said to him, God wants you to be here. We're meant to make memories together in the Lord. It was an opportunity not an interruption to God's purpose in our lives. An opportunity, an occasion to exercise your faith and his kingship in your life. To introduce a new leadership, a new way of living, a Christ-like way, an inspiring Christ-like life. That's why that's up there, inspiring Christ-likeness. Are you doing that? Are you inspiring your spouse with your spiritual outlook and your love for God? Are you inspiring your children, your neighbors, your co-workers, 
your workers, or your bosses, your team, your teammates, whatever your situation. Kids, you can inspire your parents. A lot of churches explode when their junior hires and high schoolers and kids catch it and start living for Christ and saying, Mom, Dad, come on, we're going to church. We're going to hear from the Lord. And they come into this worship service and they're prepared and hungry for Christ in their lives. Turn over to chapter 34. This is interesting. Keep your finger on... I'm out of time. I'm going to pick this up next week. How's that for a cliffhanger? These guys are getting up because we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. They're not running from me because I walk toward them. I don't think. I do want you to compare 57 and 34. I want you to compare particularly chapter 34, verse 10, and 57, verse 4, if you can remember that. And notice the use of lions. And I have some more things to say about that. And to pick that up and relate it to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2 and the 400. But when we think of leadership, we think of power. And you know, the greatest power is influence. Human power. It's much greater than positional power. But we associate power with leadership, one kind or the other. In fact, we have a saying, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you ever heard that? When Jesus went to the cross, he had absolute power. And he submitted that power. He laid down that power. He gave over that power and was crucified. That's love. That's love. We want... We want a Jesus who's going to kick down doors and knock over people for the kingdom of God. And that's not the way he operates. He operates through influence. And at the heart of that influence is his steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord. That should be our quest to understand and to put into practice. Now, if you will, let's stand together. Make a decision for Christ and go in his name and know his countenance and his joy. I'm smiling. I hope I was smiling during the message because there is always a smile in my heart.
And that smile is put there by the Lord. And may the smile in your life and in your heart be a reflection of the countenance of Christ as you go. In his blessed name, may you be blessed. God bless you.